0: You could be using the proceeds in your exchange account to do this. So we take three hundred thousand of it to purchase the property, but it's not in your name, remember. And then you would take the other two hundred thousand, and you would improve the property. Now, what's that property worth? Wow. Five hundred thousand. Wow. So you can complete your ten thirty one exchange, take title of that property, and it's all been done with ten thirty one money.
1: That, that, that I've never heard that process either. Welcome, everyone, to the Cassandra Properties Podcast, uh, an episode today that we think is going to really deliver a significant, significant amount of value. We're going to be talking 1031 exchanges by one of the best in the biz. We have Dave Foster, who's the founder of the 1031 Investor. He's a self proclaimed deal junkie. And uh, we we had a little back and forth banter going before the podcast. So I think we're going to have a little fun today. Dave, how are we doing?
0: Hey, it's awesome to be here, James. And it's awesome to be warm. How are you doing?
1: Well, it's <laughs> it's awesome to be here. And it's not so well. He opened up, the, the opening volley was, what is that you're wearing? A vest? I don't wear a vest. He's down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I'm up here freezing my butt off in Staten Island, New York. So, um, you know, I've, I've actually spent uh, a, a bit of time down in Florida. I was on the East Coast and I did some investing in North Palm Beach and Singer Island. <clears throat> excuse me singer island oh yeah um what's the market like down there today
0: <clears throat> you know in florida like every player else in the country is booming it's all just kind booming is a relative term though um you know what is someone's entry point for mom and pop real estate is another person's palace yep. and so what's really interesting and, and actually a lot of our work with 1031s these days is transitioning investors from these highly appreciated areas your neck of the woods California where there's no cash flow available for people that want to own, own rental real estate and cash flow it but there's these necks of the woods where you can still find things that are that will cash flow if you ask anybody from Florida everything's overpriced right if you ask someone from California that think Florida is the cheapest thing in the neighborhood
1: right so uh, this would be a good place for us to jump off. Uh, I, from what I understand, you moved your family from Denver to Tampa using the one the Section 121 homestead exemption. Um, and there's a lot of, of folks picking up and moving from state to state today. Can you speak to the audience about right. the, the 121 homestead?
0: Yeah, exactly. So actually, that's kind of the other side of real estate. And we actually used both the 1031 and the 121. So the 121 is for the house that you live in. -hmm. When you buy a piece of property, move into with your family, and live there, so that when you sell it, you've lived in it for two out of the last five years, then as a married couple, you would get to take the first five hundred thousand in profit tax free, and you get to do that once every two years. So when NAR tells us, the National Association of Realtors, tells us that the average person stays in a house five to eight years. That means that eight or nine times in your life, you have the opportunity to sell an asset and take a bunch of money tax-free. Where now the investment going?
1: Now, that half a million dollar exemption, uh, if it's your primary residence, is wonderful. But beyond that half a million dollar exemption over your basis in profit, you're not eligible for 1031, Correct.
0: That is absolutely correct. (laughs) Hence the other shoe that's about to drop. The 1031 exchange exists for investment real estate. And with the 1031, you can sell investment real estate that's highly appreciated or that you've depreciated a lot on your taxes, buy new investment real estate, and you get to indefinitely defer the payment on the tax. Now, James, we talked about dancing girls at the beginning of the show. (laughs) You better have them in reserve because if I go to my next statement with you, it's going to be all over the ice. The the cream is is off the milk and we're going to have to shut it down because no one's going to listen. But but there is a way to combine section 121 and 1031. If you have more than a $500,000 profit, let's say you got a million dollars in profit, you could sell that and you could take your first 500,000 tax free. Okay, nice, but no big deal, Dave. I want to eliminate the other 500,000. So, what can I do? First step move out of that property. Go buy your next primary residence right now. Go rent a property. Go do a home exchange for a year, whatever. But turn that primary residence into investment property and then a year later, you're going to sell it. Now, you're selling an investment property, aren't you? And that's what the law requires for 1031 treatment. So you're going to do a 1031 exchange, but you're gonna take $500,000 in what we would call boot. Normally boot is taxable, but wait, did you also live in that property? For two out of the previous five years, absolutely you did. So the first $500,000 is tax-free. The rest of it goes into your 1031 exchange to go buy new real estate. And you've effectively deferred or eliminated a million dollars in gain in tax.
1: All right. So I've been doing this for 25 years. And that is the first time. And I've spoken to a litany of 1031 experts Uh, And some of the best, self proclaimed best, I guess. You're telling me that if someone is in the primary residence for two of the five years, which I knew, then they're going to sell the property. Before they sell the property, they move out. Okay. For a year, they rent the house to whoever it may be. Uh, What is the threshold? that the IRS is going to look at and say, arm's length transaction. Can I lease it to my brother? Can I lease it to my son? Does it have to be to a, a third party? That's uh, does it have to be arm's length in order to qualify? It doesn't have
0: to be arm's length by meaning you you can work with related parties. It needs to be a business like transaction. So, but that's the easiest part of the puzzle. You rent it to your brother at market rate. Mm-hmm sign a lease, collect the rents, declare the rents, pay the tax on the rents, take the depreciation offset set the rents. And then at the end of the year, if your brother's been nice to you and you got a good Christmas present, you can gift him back the rent that he paid using the annual exemptions. So it's all perfectly legal using different parts of the code to have someone in there you trust have it be a situation where you're treating it as investment so that satisfies the 1031 side.
1: All right. So I want to I want to slow this down for a minute and rehash this because this is something that's affecting uh, a, a lot of our listeners. That, it's a
0: big uh, deal in your neck of the woods. It's a big it's, deal.
1: It's a real big deal, folks. So basically what we're saying is if you're contemplating making a move and you're uh, looking in Jersey, Florida, the Carolinas, all the different places that – it seems uh, people are heading to now from New York, and you've owned your primary residence for two of the last five years, one year before, at least one year before, you're going to effectuate the sale, you can lease the property to a family member, to a tenant, whomever it is that you wanna lease it to. For 12 months, you collect your rent, at the end of the 12 months, if it was a relative and they took care of the house uh, the way you had hoped that they would take care of the house, you can gift a portion or all, depending on the numbers of that, back to the family member tax-free and thereby be eligible for taking your half a million dollar exemption under the section 121 homestead and 1031 anything above that $500,000 when you go to sell and you wanna trade it into a new parcel. I get that right?
0: That's exactly right. And I feel like the Romco commercial guy now, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Are you ready for the other side of things? I am. Okay, so what you're doing when you do that is you are converting your primary residence into an investment property, okay? The rules for primary residence are that you must to have used it for primary in the past for the the two years. The rules for the 1031 side, the investment side, are that it is currently being used for investment. So just like you can convert a property from your primary into investment, what if you then sold it to the 1031 exchange and purchased a property one of the places you were saying, Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains, where it's time to retire to, and you, you're you doing a 1031 exchange, so the property that you sell is being used for investment, the property that you buy, you're going to use for investment for a year or so. And then after that is over, maybe the lease is up where you've been for a couple of years, so you move into the former investment property and convert it to your primary residence
1: the change of
0: use doesn't create a taxable event
1: now once we buy this beautiful getaway in the smoky mountains and we're going to airbnb it or we're going to we're going to rent it out uh, we're not quite ready to retire yet but we want to use the two uh sheltered gains to acquire this piece in the smoky mountains how long do I have to uh, use it for investment purposes to be clean?
0: Um, There's no statutory holding period. There is a safe harbor from the IRS at two years. Okay. So that feels good, but there are a lot of folks in the industry, I talk to CPAs every week, who feel comfortable at anything more than a year because anything more than a year is two tax years.
1: Okay, so again, folks, what we're talking about is selling the home, your primary, you're done here, you're gonna relocate. We're taking the half a million dollar exemption again under the 121 homestead exemption, anything over the half a million dollars, we're gonna tax exchange into a new property. You wanna buy your home, your next home, but you wanna preserve your uh, tax-free exchange rights We can do this if we take those monies, we buy our dream home up in the Smoky Mountains, as long as we don't move into it immediately, and we treat it as a business transaction for at least 12 months, two years of safe harbor, but at least we get past the 12 month, month mark, we get into a second tax year. Now we can say, you know what, we're, we're, we're done with the Airbnb business, or we don't want to rent it again to somebody else. You can now move in and your gain is sheltered and there's nothing retroactive they can do for that transaction. Correct.
0: That's it. You want That's to hear a- the true story of someone who used it? That's amazing. It's mine.
1: Amazing. I started in
0: Denver in 1996 and I bought a duplex and fixed it up and sold it. And then realized I had silent partner named uncle Sam. Yeah which really ticked me off. So that's when, as an accountant, I pieced together the 1031 tax laws that it just changed is that that's it, that's mine. What we started doing was acquiring rental properties in Denver. And periodically we would turn one of them into our primary residence. We would sell the primary residence we were in, take the gain tax-free, move into the investment. We wanted to buy a sailboat, James. Now I know, I'm from Kansas, my wife's from Minnesota, we're living in Denver. There ain't a lot of sailboat water there, but for some reason we wanted to sail. So we started to position using the 1031 Exchange, our Colorado properties into Connecticut, Fairfield County. And then in a couple of years, we were ready to move to Connecticut to get to sailboat water. So we moved to Connecticut. Our portfolio awaited us. One of them was a really nice property we moved into. And we started the exact same process. We would then convert it into our primary residence. Then a couple years down the road, take the gain tax-free. Move into another investment property, convert it into our primary residence. It didn't take us long, James. You're hearing a common theme here. Before we realized that although we wanted sailboat water, We forgot to ask for warm sailboat water. (laughs) So Florida beckoned. So we did the exact same thing. We started to position our investment portfolio in Florida ahead of our move. So that when we were ready to move, we had houses in Florida. We moved right into one, converted it into our primary residence, turned the gain into tax-free. And literally to the week of a 10-year goal that we set in 1996, we moved on board and cast off the dock lines of a 53-foot sailboat paid for with tax-free real estate dollars that we had been banking from the sales of our primary residences.
1: Now, uh, I became a fan of yours and and we're gonna deviate a little bit from the the 1031 stuff and and folks, we'll get back to it. Believe me, there's a, a hell of a lot more value coming, but I did wanna talk a little bit. I heard you talk about this on another podcast. You, you lived on this boat for 10 years, I think, with your boys. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. We raised our four boys on it. Crazy times. That's, I'd that's, do it again in a heartbeat.
1: Man, that had to be some experience for you.
0: It was, you know, people always, they, they, they niggle those things around, whether it's in the mountains in a cabin or on a sailboat, an island, overseas, whatever. Those opportunities come around, and if you grasp them, you're changed forever my older boys still think of themselves as boat boys
1: that's amazing
0: they look for the day when they can get their own boat
1: that is absolutely amazing we we get we get so stuck in the rat race if you will and you know speaking of which I think that is the difference with this market here we talked a little bit before we came on the air that that it, it this time it's different 2008 2001 after 9 eleven. Um our challenges are very different than what they are today. So we're in a situation now where they closed things down for so long in New York that we've broken our habits and we've replaced those habits now with new habits, right? So we've all had that that time on a vacation where you get to day six or seven and, and you're starting to think, you know, gosh, there's a better way to do this or, you know, maybe the, the, there is another way to live. And then boom, you you know, you come around to that seventh or eighth day and it's back in and you're head down and you're working. Next thing you know, another year came off the calendar before you go on another vacation. And it seems to, I'm 45, I'll be 46 tomorrow. I, I, the last 20 years are a blur. And there are so many things that I swore that I wasn't going to do and I was going to do. And uh, it just seems to to go by so fast that yeah. you don't take time to grab a hold of that. And what this pause did, one of the silver linings from uh, coronavirus is that folks are, are doing that now. They're finding there is another way to work. We don't have to necessarily be in an office five days a week or six days or seven days. Right? We don't have to have the salary that we were grinding to, to secure because we can decentralize and go to one of these tertiary markets where for 30% discount from what I was getting paid in New York, I'm living like a king. Right, It's a totally different Absolutely. mindset. So well, and
0: I've got a son who's going to be graduating in electrical engineering, Mm-mm. and this is how the world has changed. They won't even interview him in person. Wow! So he's going, Dad, I'm going to be able to live wherever I want. So why not pick the beautiful spots where you can, like you said, live like a king? Because you don't have to be tied to an office. That's the most beautiful thing in the world. I'm a little little further along than you. I'm 62. And we were talking about doing a family vacation next week. Kind of feels like maybe things are going to be settled down enough. And we're crazy Floridians anyways. We do spring break, we don't care. But we were trying to think, where should we go? What should we do? And everything that's kept coming up on the list was things that we had already done Wow, as just part of living. Wow. And it's like, wow, there's been a lot that we packed in because we haven't been location down. And that's the key difference in this real estate market, unlike any other, is you can be in New York and be generating income from Texas and you can do it part-time and you can actually work for a guy in New York make rental income in Texas and live in the Smoky Mountains
1: you know the the opportunities afforded to people today uh, I don't think folks are quite grasping the world that we live in right now I was watching a, a video or a podcast with uh, Elon Musk a few days ago or a few weeks ago. They all blur together. And the interviewer says to Elon Musk, you know, so how do you go from being in this one market segment to building rockets? Like it was a quantum leap. There's no connection. There's no synergies. You know, how did you uh, identify the opportunity? And then how did you become an expert? You know, you're doing things with rockets that NASA hadn't done for the prior 40 years. You've done in a very short period of time. Yeah. You know what his answer was? YouTube. Oh, I love it! Absolutely. So the guy, guy, the interviewer thinks he's joking, and he says, "You know, oh, you know, but how did you really learn?" He said, "No, YouTube." He said, "There, you can go be an expert on anything you have available to you right now in this digital age. Access to the best information directly from the best sources. In most cases." For free. And if you're willing to put the time in, you can become an expert on anything. So here he is investing billions and billions of dollars, sending rockets up to Mars. It started with YouTube. Like, folks, I believe it. This is really a unique moment in time. And we're at such a unique place where we should be very cognizant of our ability to kind of shed those ties and shed those you know, boundaries that we've seemed to put on ourselves and shake those lids off that we've seemed to put on ourselves. You really can do anything now. It's a remarkable, remarkable time, Dave. And I applaud you for taking advantage of these things earlier in life. So Thank I have you. to ask, you know, Growing up, was there uh, an influence or how did you end up in this mindset of real estate and moving and shaking and 1031s? How did that all come together for you?
0: Wow. You know, that was the the, the 1031 thing really was just a fortunate accident because I happened to get stung with a tax bill right at the moment when the tax law changed. Mm-hmm. And because I had my accounting, I was like, oh yeah, I recognized the opportunity and I recognized the power because of the pain I went through. So that was, you know, as far as a mindset, they call the, they talk about the flyover states, right? Mm -hmm. So, and generally there's kind of a mocking of them because there's not that many people. It's all just farmers and ranchers and stuff. But I got to tell you, growing up in Kansas on my own ranch where we would load a gun on a horse and take off for days when you're 14, you start to learn a lot about what self reliance is. Oh, yeah. And you start to look at problems. And instead of saying, Ooh, that's a problem I need some help with, your first thought is, Ooh, I need to fix that. Yep. That's a paradigm mind shift that we want to be careful we don't lose because you're right. The assets and the opportunities to fix anything and learn anything are there, but we've got to make sure that we don't become people who simply want others to solve it yeah. for us.
1: So uh, I've never shared this on air before, but it's a perfect segue. So I'm going to. Growing up in New York and in the city, I was never an outdoors person. There was no connection for me to, to Mother Earth outside of, you know, what you read in textbooks and, and you know, the, the occasional excursion with the family, right? Short of that, I just wasn't an outdoorsman. And I had done a, a deal for... Uh, a colleague and a friend who now has become a business partner years later, and uh, great deal made him some some good money, and uh, he had said, you know, James, uh, as a bonus, I'm going to take you away on a hunting trip, and I'm going to myself, can't you write a check? You know, you're going to take <laughs> me on a hunting trip? like I, I don't want to hunt. Like I was one of those guys that was, I didn't know it, so I had completely discounted it. I thought it was offensive. All of those things that you read and, and look. Everyone's entitled to their opinions and, and I don't judge anyone for them, but I didn't know. I hadn't been exposed to it. So I go on this trip and uh, it was a turkey hunt. They bring me out in the woods at three o'clock in the morning. The guide positions you and I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell am I doing in the woods? I'm, you know, sitting on the ground. The guide disappears. Dave, when I tell you, they call it when the lights come on, when the sun came up, it was a biblical life altering moment for me. The birds start chirping, the turkeys are hammering, the deer are up on their feet. Uh, I, I don't it was almost like this primordial connection came over me. I fell so in love with it that I ended up becoming an avid outdoorsman. I have have a farm now, 200 acres up in Pennsylvania, uh, where it's not get on a horse and disappear for a week and, and you know, that kind of freedom, but being able to get centered again and connect with the earth and to plant the crops and then harvest the crops and feed the cows and then milk the cows. It just, the whole thing, the way it ties into each other, it is remarkable. So those flyover states offer some of the most absolutely amazing ways of life. And I think that the the country is starting to wake up to that. So I got a little bit off track there. That's awesome.
0: Well, you know what? To bring us back on track though, that's exactly, that's one of the most gratifying things of what I do because I help people just like you from the cities of New York, from Silicon Valley, because there's so much of what you're talking about that's available to them now using the 1031 process and becoming landlords long distance and positioning your real estate correctly. They can go live in that RV and are in Moab. And enjoy mountain biking. We have opportunities that we're just now starting to comprehend because of actually because of what COVID's done for us, crazily enough.
1: It it is crazy how these things come together. So, I want to share uh, some of your knowledge with the audience. By the way, Dave has got a killer, killer, killer LinkedIn page. He's got like 80 articles, uh, really well thought out, beautiful page, a lot of information. So, If you have a chance, check that out. And he's also got, I think I saw 30 plus videos on your YouTube page.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've done a bunch. We broke them down into small little sections.
1: Really informative stuff, folks. Anything that you missed today, certainly reach out to Dave or check his pages out. But let's go back and explain to folks now, what is a 1031 exchange? You know, you can't just sell a piece of property, put the money in your bank account and then go Buy a property, right? You need you need a a uh, a qualified intermediary or QI involved. Can we go back to the very basics? I'm sure. Ready to sell my property? What do I do?
0: Sure. So the IRS has to let us do them because it's been part of the code for a hundred years. They just don't have to make it easy. So there's hoops you have to go through, and the first and most important one you just mentioned: if you want to do a ten thirty one exchange and sell your investment property and buy new investment property without paying a tax you have to use the services of an unrelated third party called the qualified intermediary they're going to hold document the exchange on both closings so they have to be involved before you close your sale the sale is what starts the 1031 and every month i still get a call from someone that closed their property last week and they wanted to do a 1031 And I said, that's great, we'll do it on the next one. And it hurts. So, but the QI documents and handles the transition of the money because the IRS won't let you touch it either. So that's first and foremost. You've got 45 days only to find your next replacement property. So it's not something where you can throw the money in the bank and then just lollygag around. You gotta be very focused with your search. You've got 180 days to close. That's not such a big deal. The 45 is a killer because at the end of day 45, you can't change your list anymore. You're always going to be looking to spend at least as much as you sold or to purchase at least as much as you sold if you want to defer all tax. But what that leads into, James, is some crazy fun strategies to position yourself where you can get. The best income. So you sell a Brooklyn Brownstone, $2.4 million. What are you going to find in Topeka, Kansas to buy for that? Well, maybe you could find 10 $240,000 properties. The number of properties doesn't matter, it's the valuation. So you can sell one and buy several. Or for those folks that are invested, maybe upstate New York and where prices are smaller, but they're looking to get into multifamily commercial investing sell five hundred thousand dollar properties and use the proceeds to 1031 into a small apartment complex
1: all right let me pause you there because there's a lot of questions that i want to ask for the benefit of the audience uh these are things i've learned over the years and it's not what you would think on the surface so first thing folks is in new york we use attorneys for everything right? The attorney that's handling your closing is not necessarily a qualified intermediary. There are specific QIs that you need to work with uh, that will preserve your exchange. Don't think just because if you close and it goes, the money goes into your attorney's escrow account that you're covered, that is not the case, correct? They're actually prohibited
0: by law because they have a relation to you. They're doing your closing. Okay. They have to be totally unrelated in all ways to you by family. And business. Now,
1: does it have to be a QI from your state or can it be a QI from anywhere?
0: No, since 1031 is a federal statute, it can be a QI anywhere. It's all going to be processed exactly the same.
1: Okay. Now uh we go ahead and we're we're setting this up. We contact Dave. Dave acts as our QI. Uh the transaction closes and I want to take, you know, I have a five hundred thousand dollar gain and I want to take a hundred thousand dollars because I want to you know, go on a trip around the world and I want to save the other 400. Can I do that? Or does all the money have to go into the account?
0: That's another beautiful strategy. It's what we'd call a partial exchange or the spouse pleaser. Because you could take that 100,000 and you're going to pay tax on that. But you'll still shelter the remaining 400,000 of gain. So what an opportunity to periodically spin off a little bit to live on, to have fun with, whatever. So many people get into this mode we got a lot of fix and flippers, right? Yeah. So fixing fixing and flipping doesn't qualify for 1031 treatment because your intent is not to hold the property, your intent is to resell it. But people want to do that as a job to make money. Well, why not slow that down a little bit? And instead of buying, fixing, flipping, buy it, fix it, rent it, and then either refinance it, which is tax-free and use that money to live on, or wait for a while and then sell it. And when you sell it, carve off a little bit to live on and put the rest in the 1031. It's never an all or nothing proposition. My wife actually, I've got to give her credit. She came up with this the other day. She goes, Dave, why would you want to fix a new property and then put a renter in it? Why don't you buy it, rent it for a while, kick the renter out, fix it, and then do the 1031 with a fresh clean property. It's brilliant.
1: So now, are you able to use any of the exchange dollars in a rehab, or can the exchange dollars only be used toward the acquisition?
0: Hear that sound? We just jumped into the deep end of the pool. (laughs) So there is a way to do it. So the premise is that you cannot exchange for improvements on property you already own. So, if you 1031 into a property that needs improvement, Mm -hmm. once you take title to it, you can't include the improvements. But there is a thing called a reverse improvement exchange where we, as the QI, take title to that new property, whether it's a property that needs improvement or whether it's a lot that you're going to build on. We take title to it, but you control it. And then you would improve. That property while we own it. You also make all the income off of it as well. It's totally yours except for in name. And then, as soon as those improvements are made, then you take title to finish your 1031 exchange.
1: And that would have to be done within that 180 day period?
0: Correct. So, let's say you had a $500,000 property you owned for cash. We'll take debt out of the equation for a minute you found a really nice $300,000 property that needed $200,000 in work. Well, you could do your 1031 and you could buy it. You're, you're buying down $200,000, so you're gonna pay tax on that unless you buy another property. But if you do a reverse improvement exchange, we would take title to the property. And if your other property had sold, you could be using the proceeds in your exchange account to do this. So we take 300000 of it, to purchase the property, but it's not in your name, remember? Then you would take the other 200,000 and you would improve the property. Now what's that property worth? Wow. 500,000. Wow. So you can complete your 1031 exchange, take title of that property, and it's all been done with 1031 money. Yeah, that was right, huh?
1: That, 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 I've never heard that process either. So you actually could, if you, if you didn't have additional capital available, use the proceeds from the transaction, the transaction is closed in your name, the balance of the money is used to make the repair, then you acquire the asset, and if you are less than, like you had said, if it was a half a million dollar gain and it was a $300,000 acquisition, 200000 in improvements, now you're taking title out of half a million, you're clean.
0: That's exactly right.
1: That is brilliant, man. That is absolutely brilliant. Okay, so I want to go forward with an exchange. Um, I'm going to call you up. I need to identify properties. What is the process of identifying within that 45-day prescribed time period?
0: Right, so there's certain requirements on that list. First of all, it has to be in place prior to midnight on day 45. But what it is is simply a written instrument between parties to the transaction. Now, almost 99% of us QIs are very anal about the fiduciary responsibility. So we have a form for you, where we require that it come to us. But technically speaking, if you put a contract in on a property during the 45 day period, that's an instrument in writing that counts. Okay. So it just has to be in writing. It has to be a specific identification. Remember phone books? The Staten Island phone book would not count as your identification (laughs) list.
1: I was just going to ask, how many can I (laughs)
0: send you, Dave? (laughs) Yeah. So in general, if you're trying to buy at least as much as you sell in an individual property, you're going to keep your list to three or fewer. There are some times when five or six might work. But there's extra rules that we don't need to bog everybody down on. We've got a couple of videos on the YouTube channel that explain it real easy. But in generally, three to six properties is where you're going to be limited to.
1: Okay, so we've identified these properties. We're proceeding with a contract. Um, we're now, let's say, in day 70 or 80 of our 180. Uh, we do inspections uh, and we find out. The foundation was undermined, or uh, there's a, uh, a a cloud on title. Let's say something that was completely out of our control is an heir to an estate from two decades ago, and they're unable to to uh, convey marketable title. Now, what am I? Is my exchange blown?
0: Well, at that point in time, if you still you're past your 45, past so 45. you cannot act, change that list at all anymore. If you have their the other properties you can still access them.
1: So I can go back. On your list. Okay, so we can go back to the list. And if this one deal blew up, we can preserve the exchange so long as it's proceeding with a previously identified list prior to the 45 days.
0: That is correct. Here's the challenge with that though. By the time you've gone 70 days in a seller's market, the odds of those other properties still being available, pretty slim. Yeah. So you've really got to be so focused during the 45. As a matter of fact, one tip is that, well, two tips, first one, try to get contingencies go into contract before you close the sale of your old property. Mm. Try to get contingencies from the seller. Now everybody wants to say, Dave, they won't do that. Nobody will do that. It's a seller's market. Nobody's going to take contingencies. Okay. What was it? Somebody once said you're going to miss hundred percent of the shots you never take. Wayne Gretzky. Was that it, Wayne? Awesome. Yeah. So, okay. Well, what is it hurt to ask? But here's what you cannot forget is that in the 1031, you're not just a buyer. You're also a seller. Yep. So what if you sold your property contingent upon finding the perfect new property? See, contingencies work both ways. Can so I, you could do that.
1: Can I introduce option money if I wanted to Go to the 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 new uh, person I'm purchasing from. Uh, first of all, so when I go to this new person, do I need to source the deposit from my QI? Can
0: come from anywhere.
1: Can come from anywhere.
0: Okay. So your exchange doesn't have to have started. You can go into contract before your old property closes.
1: So then I can I can throw option money at at people, and by that, folks, I mean. Uh, hey, look, I'm, I'm in, in good faith, I'm proceeding with an exchange. I'm gonna be selling my property. It's going into contract. I'd like to uh, purchase this property, but I need to effectuate that closing first. Uh, I need 90 days. I see your taxes are two thousand a month. Uh, you know, uh, your your mortgages, two thousand a month, whatever it may be. Here's 20 grand. It's an option. I've got the option to convert this within the next two or three months. Uh, If I don't, you keep that money. I can do that out of my own proceeds. I don't have to touch the account.
0: You can. Can I make it sweeter for you and you split the difference with me?
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Instead of making it an option, go into contract and make it releasable, earnest money. Okay. So they get the cash and that's fine, but it comes off the top of the purchase price. Whereas the option just buys you the right. Releasable earnest money says, hey, that $10,000 turns a $500,000 purchase into four ninety, But you get the cash right now.
1: I love it. I love it. Either
0: yeah. way works though. Oh, and by the way, when you use your own earnest money like that, at the purchase, you can actually get that back you would put a line on the settlement statement called return of earnest money. And that money comes back to you. And then we send in additional funds from the sale so that only the 1031 proceeds go forward in the purchase.
1: Okay. So let's say that we've sold, we've identified, we don't have any bumps in the road. We're moving forward. There's language, uh, in the tax code, I believe it's like kind exchange, correct? Okay, can you define for the audience, what does like kind exchange mean? And give a couple of brief examples of what would pass the sniff test and what would not.
0: It's beautiful. Any type of real estate that produces income or used to produce income or held for appreciation. In other words, like kind, I could sell land, and buy residential. I could sell single family and buy commercial. I could sell industrial and I could buy an apartment complex. As long as it is being used for investment. I was having a conversation with a client in South Carolina uh, just this morning. Her client is selling a quadplex and buying five boat lifts. Boat slips. boat slips. Yes. There is an industry around Charlotte where there are boat slips, and these boat slips have been deeded. So you don't get a registration certificate every year. You get a property tax bill. Wow. That boat slip is real estate. So she's going to buy four holes in the water that she's going to generate rent off of. Wow. That's how loose real estate is.
1: And the threshold, I guess, is that there's a title or something that comes with it. it Yeah,
0: or that it's actually whatever each state considers to be real estate. For instance, all 50 states consider oil and mineral gas rights to be the same as real estate. So you could sell a brownstone and go buy some royalties in a few Texas oil wells using the 1031 exchange. Wow. Crazy, right?
1: Absolutely. I have to tell you again, 25 years doing this. I've been a part of many, many, many exchanges. And a lot of this is new to me, Dave. This is absolutely fascinating. So we're proceeding with our transaction. Am I allowed to use any of my qualified money toward closing costs?
0: Yes. Now, what those closing costs are, we are not given a bright line because there could be so many different things. Mm -hmm. But in general... The standard is going to be whatever is used to actually close the purchase of the property as opposed to prorations or prepaids like rent and that kind of thing or costs of finance. So generally your origination costs for a loan are distinguished from the actual real estate itself.
1: Points on the mortgage, all that stuff.
0: Right. But your attorney fees... Uh, General things, it's really up to what you and your accountant decide. An appraisal fee, if it's put on the settlement statement, could easily be construed to be a cost of the purchase because it can't happen without it. It's just kind of you and your accountant sit down with a laundry list. And if you're bigger than they are, you'll probably win every argument.
1: (laughs) All right. So we've gotten through our first exchange. We're now in our new property. We're in a great market. We bought it, um, you know, at a steep discount, whatever the conditions are. And we get a knock on the door and we get a tremendous offer. Is there a seasoning period? How long do we have to hold it before we can effectuate our next exchange?
0: Oh, that's a great question. You teed it up so well because the standard is not a time. The standard is your intent. Mm -hmm. So... When that person knocked on your door, were you trying to sell the property? I don't think so. Was it listed for sale? I don't think so. Did you have a renter in it with a lease? Yep. So what was your intent? It was too old and along came someone with a, uh, uh, who was it? The Godfather's pizza, the offer you can't refuse. <laughs> right. And, so you sold it. Although your intent was not to sell. Okay. So absolutely. That that's perfectly. So again, most people feel comfortable at anything more than a year, but there can always be circumstances. For instance, my favorite client of 2020 called me a month after he purchased a property and said, I want to sell this. I'm going to make a lot of money. I went to a 1031. I said, no, you're not. Cause you can't buy things just to flip them. He said, but you don't understand. I agreed to honor the long-term lease of the tenant in my sales contract. That's the only reason the guy sold it to me for a discount. Because it was a friend of the seller. I said, well, okay, that's cool. But here you are selling it. So again, that doesn't look like good intent. He goes, oh, I see what you mean. Well, it was the bear. (laughs) What? A bear had taken up residence. At the trash can of the house in Tennessee. The tenant was so scared she couldn't take the trash out, so she broke the lease and left. The guy said, Dave, my accountant and I both do not want to argue with a bear. Does the IRS? I said, no, probably not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so folks, just to be clear here, It's not that you can't at any point go and hire a a realtor and put the house on the market or the the building or the asset or whatever it is on the market and sell it. It's just during those first 12 months uh, where you can't do that. The the intent has to be you bought this asset, you were planning to rent it and keep it and and have it generate money. Uh, You're going to monetize this long term. Along came this amazing offer. Oh, uh, that's where you can do it underneath, right. Along came the bear and uh, inside that 12 month period. Now you can go ahead and and, and still save Harbor the money and, and effectuate an exchange. Okay. How many times can I do this, Dave?
0: Oh, this is beautiful. Allow me to introduce you to the four D's. You got a pen in your hand. So I know you're ready. defer, defer, <laughs> defer and die
1: (laughs) like like an idiot here I am writing it
0: (laughs) as long as you own your replacement property Mm -hmm. you will never pay the tax as long as any time you sell that property and do another exchange you will never pay the tax if you change the use by moving in you will never pay the tax and at the end of the road if you die owning that last property, then under current law, your heirs will receive it at what is called a step up in basis, Mm -hmm. which means the tax goes away. So at the very beginning, I said, you indefinitely defer tax. There's a way very easily to defer it until you die and then have it disappear for your heirs. And that's true legacy wealth.
1: So we work with uh, a number of what they call family offices and just individual wealthy uh, folks that have been rolling exchanges forward for, in in some cases, literally decades. They've just exchanged into yes. exchange into exchange into exchange. So as as you're rolling these exchanges forward, your each time that that gain is growing, right? At some point, there's this tax liability that has to be mitigated at some point. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of talk uh, in, in the real estate community about the new administration and what's gonna happen with the 1031 exchange. In some instances, it's one transaction. In some instances, we're working with clients, Dave, where literally it's 10, 15, 20 transactions sure. that have rolled forward. Uh, can you speak to us about what you're hearing and what do we think is, is going to change, not change? Is the 1031 here to stay? What would your advice be to those folks that now have, in some cases, generational gains that are out there and they're not sure what to do?
0: Right. Well, I guess the first thing I would say is that I'm a big fan of Gideon Tucker, who was an attorney back in the late 1800s who coined the phrase, that made the statement that no one's person, property, possessions, or liberty is safe while Congress is in session. <laughs> so we're always going to have this threat, whether the Congress is red or blue or purple polka dot. It. Yep. They love tax dollars. Yep. So here's what's really interesting, though. Since I've been doing this now for over 20 years, I've been under five different presidents a bunch of different administrations both democrat and republican every conceivable configuration of senate house every one of them <laughs> has talked about getting rid of the 1031 exchange every one of them mm-hmm. do you know who the only one who actually did it was no the one you would think the absolute least president trump in 2018 he eliminated the personal property sections in 1031. You used to be able to exchange, get this, jet airplanes. And he eliminated that type of exchange. So he can no longer do a 1031 on his cold-plated 747. So but think of it, of all the ones you'd expect, that's the least.
1: So the the that was eliminated... From the 1031 program, I believe that those types of transactions are included. However, through the Jobs Act in the Opportunity Zones, was it done to try and bolster the Opportunity Zones? It, you
0: it, it could have. It very well could have been. Uh, the motivation, I'm not. I'm a little foggy on, but yeah, you're right. But it, but it was the first time in a hundred years that 1031 had been monkeyed with.
1: So, do you think so, that there's future monkeying on the horizon?
0: I, I, there could very well be, but I think that President Biden has a few more important things on his plate right now to worry about. Yep. And it seems like each day the honeymoon's getting closer and closer to being over. And so, you know, I just can't bring myself to worry about it too awful much. Uh for one reason because he's so busy with other things, but for another reason, because when you dig down and look at all the data, 1031 is a massive yeah. economic generator. Massive that single-handedly prevents a ton of inflation yeah. because it's making dollars work harder and faster. It's increasing velocity. If we stagnate the real estate industry. We stagnate dollars and Congress has only one option and that's print more, And that's when inflation occurs. So I'm really not too awful worried about it. I don't think that you should stop doing them because you're scared they're going to go away. As a matter of fact, I would think that while you've got the opportunity, you want to make those last few placements. Right. Because remember, it's a long time from the last defer to die. So, so you want to kind on that. That's actually what concerns me the most, James, is the step-up in basis going away. Yep. I see that as a big, big deal. Because you're right, that intergenerational wealth is huge. And I know he wants to do that. But again, like everything, over the course of decades, we've seen that come and go and come and go. And estates change value. So I can only act on what I know today. And I know it's a great opportunity today to defer tax.
1: No, oh, it sure is. And it has been for a long time. There, There's uh, some of the advice we've given to some of, of those clients that are in those situations are, as you said, while it's here, let's use it. If you have real concerns, particularly about the step up in basis uh, in your estates, what we're doing is in the opportunity zones, uh, you can take all of these could be one, two, 10, 100 exchanges you've done, you've rolled forward a massive amount in basis. Through the opportunity zone, you can invest in an asset. There are pretty specific criteria about, well, first of all, it has to be in a QOZ. You make the investment, you invest the additional dollars in improving that asset. If you hold the asset for 10 years, it is 100% percent tax free. All of those gains of the past, you don't have to worry about it going to the estate. It is wiped clean. Now, where it goes beyond that, we'll have various different treatments and different things you have to worry about. But there is an opportunity to roll these things forward and kind of clean the slate uh, if you're so inclined to do it. So, okay, we're back in 1031 world. uh, We've done a few clean transactions. I want to ask you about some not so clean transactions and see uh, if it doesn't qualify. Do you know any you know neat ways to work around it? A few different areas. Number one, uh, you talked about fix and flips. There's no intent to uh, rent the property. So unless you take those steps, that's out. A lot of the work we do here, Dave, is centered around pre-development value. So we go in, we find an asset, we go into contract and through uh, approvals or through repositioning uh, of tenants prior to closing in many instances, we have now taken a piece of property that was $3 million and it's now worth $6 million. In many instances, we never even take title. We take money by assignment. The new person steps in, takes the entitlements and they move forward. That is not a 1031-able event, correct?
0: Oh, contraire, mon frère. Really? (laughs) There may be a way. So you're one of the few markets in the country where things percolate long enough to make it work. Pre-development, that was the magic word. You go into contract for a property to purchase it at three. By the time you take title, it's worth five. Mm -hmm. Before you take title though, you've been under contract for more than a year. And if you have been under contract for more than a year, then in many cases, we've got a vet them, but in many cases, that contract itself becomes like kind to real estate. In other words, the bundle of rights that constitutes that contract Is considered to be equivalent to the bundle of rights you would have if you owned the real estate itself. Just like a land lease in Hawaii, you don't own the land, but you can 1031 it because your lease is considered to be the same bundle of rights. So you would take your contract, and rather than taking title, you would assign that contract. To the buyer and you would do a 1031 exchange into five million dollars of other investment property and defer the tax on all two million
1: i have to i have to go back here and make sure i've got this buy a piece of property for three million through approvals and in various different ways we're adding value we now sign a contract for five million subject to these approvals being concluded prior to the transaction Fast forward 18 months, which is nothing in New York for getting approvals. That goes by, it seems like, in the blink of an eye. We're now two years into the transaction. Dave, you're in contract with me to buy this piece of property. Do I have to close on it and sell it to you?
0: No, that would that would that would change everything.
1: That would change everything for the worse.
0: Correct. Because if you take title to it and sell it to me the next day,
1: no intent. Why did you
0: take title? Right. Primarily to resell it
1: man, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. So contract assignments, in contract for at least a year, value add, appreciation, assign it. You would take that money as the intermediary and now we can assign that, we can use that as an exchange moving forward. Yeah. What happens, (coughs) I'm sorry, Dave, what happens if I have four partners and we're each pulling a million dollars out and my partners want to go do whatever it is they're gonna do. I don't wanna be a party to, to this entity anymore. I wanna pre- preserve my rights. How does that work?
0: Okay, well, you mentioned entity. So what is important is that the taxpayer that owns the old property has to be the same as the taxpayer that purchases the new property. Okay. Now, if that's just you yourself, you yourself are selling, so you yourself would buy. If it's a taxpaying entity, like a multi-member LLC, Mm -hmm. the LLC has to sell, the LLC has to buy. So the four partners in that situation are kind of stuck together because the LLC is the taxpayer, not the individuals. So your options would be sell as the LLC, buy as the LLC, but only do a partial exchange. Keep Mm -hmm. enough cash out to pay off the partners and buy out their membership interest in the LLC.
1: Now, what if what if my membership in the LLC was through a wholly owned company that I only own?
0: Still the same thing. The same. Because that entity doesn't own real estate. It owns a membership share in an entity that owns real estate. Now, another option would be, let's say you got four partners, and we've done this before, it's kind of fun. The LLC sells and starts at 1031 and then it goes and buys four different properties. It buys a ski cabin in Vermont. It buys a Florida beachfront. It buys a bunch of land in Colorado and it buys a Texas mansion. I don't know one for each of the members and where they want to go next. The LLC completes the exchange. And then immediately after that, the LLC dissolves. And distributes the properties to each former member. The dissolution of an LLC is not generally a taxable event.
1: That is absolutely brilliant. Wow. Wow. Okay. So we've covered instances where we're essentially contract vendees. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about we hear this term all the time and, and I seem to get a different definition from each expert. What's a drop and swap?
0: That was one avenue of what I just told you about. Okay. Was to do the 1031. So that would be a swap. I'm doing the 1031 swapping properties and then I drop the LLC and distribute the properties to the individuals. Now, For years, the IRS loved that direction. That was the preferred direction, did them all the time. The opposite direction though, is to dissolve the LLC first and distribute the property that's probably already under contract to the four members. So that now the four members are tenants in common. They each now own actual real estate. Mm -hmm. So each one of them can sell their 25% and do their own 1031 exchange or two could combine or one could do one and three could take cash without affecting each other. That is what we would call the drop. You drop the LLC and then swap the properties after the fact. Now, there was a lot of hesitancy on this one for years for a couple of reasons. First of all, the IRS had done, said, issued some rulings that just weren't all that favorable. And then they got silent. So we didn't know. Secondly, though, we always go back to intent. If you dissolve the LLC and then the property is deeded from the LLC to you and then you immediately sell it, mm-hmm. how long did you own it? A day. Why did you take title? Did you take title to hold it? Or did you take title only to facilitate the sale? Now, that's kind of a speculous argument. And in recent years, the IRS has started to soften their position to that. Because it's very easy to show that simply owning real estate in an entity is the same as owning it out of the entity. It's just a different way of owning it. So if I owned it that way because of liability or because it eased management, in reality, it was still my piece of real estate. So when I dropped the LLC, I'm really not changing the owner. I'm simply putting the individual owners in a different form of ownership. And that's why the IRS is starting to like that a little bit more.
1: Fascinating stuff. I have to ask you one more question. So, note sales. If you uh, own a note and you sell the note, or uh, I have an instance where a a note was given and the the note went bad, an auction is coming up, are the proceeds, which would essentially be the par value plus penalties on that note, is there any way to exchange that?
0: Unfortunately not, because notes are not Considered to be real estate there are security instruments on real estate i can't solve that one james well, i've tried
1: i have to tell you this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation i can go on with you for hours and i'd love to connect with you offline because i think there's some opportunities between us uh, before i let you go you're a big dog guy
0: i am a big dog guy we foster puppies had them all my life They're the, they're the best worthless animal you'll ever own
1: They are. um, I'm a dog guy myself. And, you know, there's just something special about rescue dogs. And I saw that you were a a foster dad, if you will. (laughs) Exactly. I said, I'm going to like this guy, even if he is a Tom Brady fan. I'm going to give him a shot.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. But, you know, we both share the Manny name. Yeah. You got Eli. We had. Peyton and uh, endeavor so yeah, you had paid some slack so look guys
1: um i hope this was as eye opening and valuable for you as it was for me dave foster founder of the 1031 investor clearly uh, as far as i'm concerned the source for these types of transactions dave i can't thank you enough this was an absolutely really genuinely value driven episode uh, learned an awful lot today really appreciate you
0: i had a lot of fun and i got to tell you i'm excited now because i was a little worried if the government decides to get rid of 1031s i'm calling you to get a job with the dancing girls
1: <laughs> you got you're gonna be my dancing girl baby we'll go on tour together i love it hey <laughs> <laughs> foster everybody how do we find you dave
0: easy enough go to the 1031investor.com and you do everything you need we got
1: all right, PD. let's make sure we put that up on, uh, on the broadcast when it goes out. Dave, thank you very much. Everyone out there, as always, we appreciate you. Thank you. Keep the comments coming. Keep the likes coming. Keep the questions and suggestions coming. Everybody out there, stay safe.